Pat Kane, and welcome to the Alternative UK podcast, an occasional conversation with key thinkers about a better future. The Alternative UK is a new political platform that exists to answer the question, if politics is broken, what's the alternative? Today's guest is social entrepreneur Hilary Cottam, who uses a design approach to solving the world's problems, and as such was named Designer of the Year in 2005 for her work in schools, health services and prisons. For the past 10 years, Hilary has been working with her team at Participal to reimagine social services as relational welfare. This is an approach which puts relationship rather than management at the heart of interactions between vulnerable people and the state. Today we are celebrating the publication of Hillary's new book, Radical Help. It documents the incredible success she has had in turning people's lives around using this idea of relational welfare. Alternative UK's co-initiator Indra Adnan interviewed Hillary in her office in Peckham, London. So I am super excited today to have with me Hilary Cotton. Um, and for those of you who do um, read the editorials, you'll be quite familiar with Hilary's name because I've referenced her many a time uh, for coining the phrase relational welfare. Um, and it speaks volumes, but I'm going to ask Hilary to just give, it the, give us the top lines of relational welfare. Um, and then I'm going to you know, give you the link later on for Hillary's book. It's a total must read. Um, but as I say, for those of you who are familiar with what we're already doing, so much of this is being championed by the Alternative UK. So hello, Hillary. Hello, Indra. It's so nice to see you and have you here in my tiny studio in Peckham Levels. It's a beautiful little space, I'm going to say, but let's not go into that. Um, Hillary, tell us, it seems to me that what you've developed is, is a, a completely alternative welfare system um, and it depends upon something that you refer to very often um, which you call the inversion. What, what, to try and describe what the inversion is. Yes, so I've been working over the last 10 years with communities up and down Britain building alternative models of what we could call welfare. I don't, I mean I call it radical help in the book, we could call it something different. And I think what struck me in the work I've done in the last decade, but over more decades than that really, is how often simply turning things upside down changes things. And I can give you lots of examples. I mean, one of the things is very early on, for instance, I did work in prisons. In prisons, we see that 96% of the budget goes on security and 4% goes on any form of learning or, or positive activity. 80% of prisoners reoffend again, 80% can't read and write. So it seemed really obvious to me that if we could just switch that, and of course with modern technology you can if you want to, we could have 96% of the budget for supporting people and 4% on security. So that's a kind of really clear. But we see, for instance, in uh, the welfare state more generally, that roughly 80% of the money and resource, so professional time as well, in any service goes on managing the queue, running the bureaucracy, filling out the forms... 20%, maximum, often less, goes on actually supporting people, standing by people's side, finding out what we want to do with our lives and then supporting us to kind of make those changes. So inversions operate in radical health in lots of different ways, but one of the very simple things is just that one of resource. Let's turn it on its head and think about how, especially with modern technology, do we take that burden out and free ourselves to use resource to grow our capabilities in new ways and to thrive, to flourish in this century. Mm. So it depends, doesn't it, on this idea that uh, the people themselves who may need help are 
capable of something, that it's not simply that those with expertise, you know, those at the top, those with the theories, um, should be the people to tell others what to do. It's more that we can harvest the capabilities of people themselves. Is, is, is that part of what you're saying? Part, I mean, there's a lot in there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> one thing is we all need help. You know, I need help, you need help at different stages of our life. I don't, I'm not that comfortable with the world to help, but mm. we all want to grow and develop and there are times in our lives when we're more vulnerable and some of us are more vulnerable than others. I mean, one of the things, I mean, there's the inversion, but there's also a sort of strong theme of vertical to horizontal, which I think fits very well with your work in the alternative because, mm. you know, the traditional structures we have are, in the way you're describing, they're about some people with the knowledge at the top us at the bottom, you know, everything must pass from top to bottom. And one of the things about the models I develop is they're very horizontal. So they say, you know, we've got capability, our peers have got capability, we need professionals in there. And in fact, a strong theme in the book is take care of everyone. I mean, it's actually impossible to work in these systems. So let's liberate professionals, people with expert knowledge as well, and put them into these more horizontal systems. So that's part of it, it's kind of freeing up capability, recognising that we've all got capability. But the other thing is we all need to grow our capability, you know, we all have the potential for capability, but what support is put around us to kind of grow and develop those capabilities in different stages of our life? So the work I do is focused on four, really, and trying thinking what are the key things we need to flourish in this century, and what are the alternative ways we can find to support people to grow those capabilities. Mm. Can you give us some, some concrete examples? Because I know that, um, and yeah, I d probably didn't make it clear that this is um, on the occasion of the publication of um, Hillary's new book, Radical Help, which uh, in a way s describes all the work you've done over how long? Ten Just the last ten years. The last ten yes. years with, yes. with your organisation participants. Yes. Um, which has covered a number of really uh, groundbreaking projects, I think, looking at all these different stages of life and how using your your idea of developing people, sorry, developing people's capabilities uh, just radically transforms their possibilities of a better future. So sh should we just go through them quite quickly? Yes, okay. You know, because yes. I've got, uh, yeah, a, I've got here five that yes. I remember. But so I suppose that's you? the thing yeah. is that, you know, Beveridge promised us that, you know, when the welfare state was designed after the war, that we would have cradle to grave. So the idea is how can we have cradle to grave again in a new way? It's also the idea of talking about the kind of verticals and switching things that how can we think about life stages, which is more meaningful to us than kind of the health silo or the education silo. So the book goes through five experiments I've done, basically from kind of young family stage to kind of ageing and dying, and looking at what does the capability framework mean. So I don't think we can talk about all five, but I can just say it starts um, with work I've done with families who face very complex uh, problems. I think modern family life is difficult for all of us with the pressures of, you know, everything coming in on us, but we could talk about that. So mm. it's not... but. Specifically, this work concentrated on families that have got very complicated issues of mental health, uh, often extreme poverty. And um, in that situation, when I started, the particular local authority said to me, look, we've tried everything. I've heard this capability approach. Do you really think these families would like to grow their capabilities? Um, and actually, it turned out that they did. It turned out that uh, when promised real support, when you feel that somebody's going to actually stand by you through thick and thin, that the families leapt at the chance to kind of define what they wanted. We didn't dictate anything. 
um, and then kind of grew their capabilities to flourish, to kind of find a way for their children to get back into school, to find work, to find the things that kind of give us well-being, but on their terms. And actually a funny story about the family work is that we have a, a framework to look at how their capabilities are growing. And the family's not only understood this framework, which at one level is quite complex, you know, the ideas of the Nobel winning prize economist Amartya Sen, Martin mm-hmm. Nussbaum, the philosopher, mm-hmm. they actually took the framework and they reinterpreted it and they added a section that we then used in all our work. So <laughs> they completely got it, yeah. grappled with it. Yeah. Because I think they could see that there is a power shift here, that nobody is telling us, put your children in school, find a job. They're saying, what does a flourishing life look like to you? How can I support you to grow those capabilities? And then mm-hmm. at the other end would be ageing. So, you know, when we are getting older, perhaps frailer, how can we maintain the capabilities we already have and grow some new ones? You know, good company is really important, again, relationships. But also people want to feel they're still learning, growing, developing new interests. So again, it was very, very important there, both in sort of taking pressure off the existing system, where we worked, about 10,000 people participated, uh, visits to GPs came down, kind of unnecessary visits to services came down, and people began to flourish across a whole different mm, range of mm, dimensions, mm. which was really exciting. So, so what, what I'm imagining, um, and what I felt from the book, is this um, you know, chaotic life, if you like, small units like families of people who are reflecting all the chaos of our society. Definitely my you family know, usually you does know, that. <laughs> everybody will probably recognise that, but it's all captured in the one, like a microcosm of the whole society in which, you know, you have to be quite, you know, you have to be very strong and confident to be able to create value from that, so to speak. And what, it seems to me what you do is give them almost like um, a smaller space, a container within which to manage all of that chaos and then through their relationship with you, you know, they can begin to find strength and some empowerment. Is that is that how it yes, works? Yes, I mean, I yeah. work, it depends because, yeah. for instance, we did work with young people, which was for absolutely every young person. So yes. the family work was concentrated yes. on people really struggling, but not all the work I do. Yes. Because one of the strong themes in mm. the work I do is that people, you know, we don't know each other anymore. Yeah. And that actually more and more social research shows that if we don't have strong relationships and many connections with people different to us, we can't mm. thrive, we can't find good work, we're not healthy, we can't mm. have people to take care of us and so on. So a lot of the work I do is thinking about how we can create communities, for instance, with the work I do around employment. In those communities, I need people in work, out of work and in between. I don't want a kind of jobs club of somebody, yeah, you know, yeah. a group of people. So it's, it's very much about thinking kind of, about relationships with different sorts of people. But the family work, yes, definitely was about standing back, actually, creating space by standing back, by not trying to intervene in somebody's life, and waiting. I mean, the first phase of that work is an invitation which can take six to nine months, and then the work usually goes quite fast, but saying, we're here, we're not going away, we're here to kind of have these conversations when you're ready, on your time, Mm. and then, you know, Mm. transformation Mm. begins to happen. But being able to see that very important space between one person and another, which is a relationship, but still allows both people their autonomy, is something instinctively that, you know, I, I don't see that in politics generally, or I, I don't see that in the public space all that much. It's almost like a, a personal value or a personal quality that we would recognise between friends almost. You know, and you and you really describe relationship as being core to all of these changes. Um, does that is that is that right? Is that I do think yeah. that's right. I mean, I think that we need to recognise different sorts of relationships. Mm. So one thing is, um, it's hard to maintain friendship and family in the current mm. you know, capitalism is speeding up. It's hard to find the time to nourish 
that. So I think any framework, you know, to take care of the planet, everything, like any framework needs to kind of think about how we create the space, how we structure systems and lives, because that's one of the reasons I like the capability framework. Like we have to take um, what's the word, sort of autonomy for that, don't we? Mm. But at the same time, we have to be able to see that it's not just about us. We can't just get happy or get capable. Like, there are real systems and structures that are impeding that, and we mm. have to kind of find a way to talk about that, to intervene in those systems, and, and make that happen. Do you want me to close the window? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe cut out the place. Yeah. So, so, but I still want to go... Oh. Um, but can I just talk still, Indra, about, um, about the second part of your question? Which yes. Is about kind of providing that relational support. Because I think that, that you know, um, in the work I do, in fact, we call them relational workers. There are people that offer that support. Mm. And they come from all different backgrounds. And sometimes, in the case of the families, for example, these were the existing social workers, health workers, who, able to work in a different system, were able to bring their personal qualities to the work and, and support. So it wasn't like we changed the workers or the professionals and change happened. We changed the context and the kind of system and then those same people, families and professionals, mm. could begin to work in a different mm. way together and then mm. change mm. happens. Now, I'm, I'm very familiar with um, and really admiring that you were able to create um, the opportunity for that to happen. Um, we worked, uh, well, Pat Kane and I worked with um, a project called Reimagining Social Work for a couple of years oh, in yes. Scotland. And, you know, they were always frustrated and we were frustrated with them that their real perception of what's needed and how they need to work with uh, the people in their community uh, couldn't be delivered, you know, by within their functions or within their structures, but also within their permission to act in certain ways. And there was always a worry about creating too much relationship. Yes, could be co-opted. Yeah, there yes. was a fear around yes. it. I think I think yeah. rightly so, actually. Yeah. But I think, again, that is about kind of system support. So, for instance, with our um, family work, uh, the those who are the professionals are working in teams. But, so there's not... It's kind of... It's not a kind of personal worker. It's a team relationship with the family mm. because mm. that provides kind of checks and balances and support because this work is, yeah, I think is that's very, very hard. Yeah, I think that's the breakthrough. And then yeah. also, I mean, another thing I see often when I talk about this work um, with professionals is that suddenly there's this kind of realisation that we're too far in, we're too involved, and then there's a kind of, you know, the inverse, which is, OK, let's step too far back. And finding that balance, I mean, it's a constant... It's a dance, really, and I yeah. think, you know, you've got to be aware of it. But again, you know, this is about work that allows you the time to reflect the space I and mean, we put very strong reflection around our teams mm. so that they could begin that they could see that I mean I think if you're in a pressurized system with no time to think it's not possible to kind of hold this kind of yeah. work and also if you have too many rules you know so we, we what we encountered was there were two different kinds of social worker the ones that had done a degree and the ones who had done everything almost by intuition yes and there was a lot of clashes because really there was a rule book around exactly at what point you have to pull back you know, whereas the other, whereas the ones who had not done the, in a sense, the training, uh, were much more intuitive about what was what was healthy and what was not healthy, and so they remained live in each other's company. It was a different. It was a different uh, experience. So yeah, because I think obviously, you know, I I talk in radical help about how mm. you know the influence of the market increasing transactions the whole time, mm. and obviously, I mean, one of the challenges is if you're a younger person and you've been trained, and then your early professional experience is in those really rule bound systems. Mm. I think it's harder. I mean, often, you know, older professionals. I mean, I'm an older person myself. Nobody can see me, but you know, just. To, but you know, often. I don't think I believe that. <laughs> 
and I can see you. But anyway, carry on. on. The thing is, I think sometimes people say, but this is like the 70s, and it's true that a lot of these ideas were around in the 1970s. They couldn't function because we couldn't put the systems around them to sustain them. But now we can. Technology enables us to kind of really put those relationships at the forefront and then support system-wise in a completely different way. Yeah, so now we're living in an age, if you like, of that language, you know, network support as opposed to, you know, uh, as you described before, vertical versus horizontal, you know, to be living in the network is something that's much more fluid yes. and, pos- and has the potential of being human yes. uh, and changing shape all the time. Um, and that's something we have to be alive to. Do, do you also think, um, Hilary, that it's a more feminine way, it's a more feminine culture? And I'm not saying women. You know, of course, that it's not a coincidence that a lot of the people working in these interfaces are women, but it's not exclusively the case. I'm not saying it's a, a gender issue, but when I say feminine, I'm talking about softer, more fluid, networked. You know, this is an age for that, is it not? Well, I, I, I find that hard because I definitely <laughs> think that, of course, those are attributes we associate with a particular gender, but yes. that's because of the societies we've grown up on and those things have been put upon yeah, that's us. Fair enough. On the other side, what I would yeah. say is that um, sort of thinking about ideas I draw on, I mean, feminist thought is really, really strong in the methodology I use in kind of trying to think, and particularly sort of African-American feminists who've had those decades of thinking about we're on the outside of the system, yeah. we have knowledge that we can't even get heard how do we actually kind of use our tools not to prop up the system but to change it Mm. that experience i think is that is a feminine feminist experience Mm. which i really draw on and i think it is the time for that definitely i mean we could we could go down the rabbit hole of feminine and feminist but let's not do that now No, but can I say one other thing about the welfare state, which is really important in this dimension, is that the welfare state only worked because it was based on unpaid women's labour. Yes. And for me, that is kind of one of the most important foundation stones. I mean, the idea of care never worked in these post-war state models because what happened was that Beveridge swept it behind the front door and said, women will do that. And really, the breakdown started in the 60s as soon as women were saying, well, hang on a minute, that I'm not going to be doing that anymore. Mm. And we, you know, now we've got a crisis, but we've never found a solution to that. So the kind of bigger kind of, you know, the feminist question or the, you know, comes at this from many, many different angles, from sort of soft power, from, Mm. you know, sort of paid labour, unpaid labour, feminist theory, like the whole, it's a sort of whole nexus here in this, I think, of that. Mm -hmm. So can we get to the thorny question of of, um, how can we imagine uh, your idea of inversion, you know, becoming the mainstream? So from our point of view... Um, and we're working mostly at community level, looking at what's there and what's arising. There's definitely a story around, this is a natural uh, development. People are becoming more aware of their capacities and their capabilities. They're being left to fend for themselves more because of the terrible cuts in welfare. So in a way, there's something around, if communities um, were allowed to self-organize, which they are having to, your model would work really well with that, right? Yes. But there's some, there's a counter-narrative. Some, yes. Yeah, there's a counter-narrative, which is that the current political structure and culture, you know, how likely is it to choose this kind of inversion? How likely is it to um, radically you know, adopt a new way of being doing the welfare state. The, what, you, what you describe in your book as the pivoting moment. How likely yes. is it to pivot? 
Well, I think there is still a role for the state. I think the system is not going to pivot on its own. Mm. And I think, you know, obviously... I'm a sort of mongrel in terms of disciplines, you know, design and anthropology. And But, I mean, originally I studied history. And the, the thing about the welfare state is that Beveridge created what we would see now as a kind of new operating framework. And he said, this is the framework and you're in or you're out. So, you know, famously, for instance, doctors didn't want to be part of the NHS, but eventually they realised they wouldn't be paid unless they came in and they came in. And I think that what we need to think about is what what are the kind of, What's the operating framework? Not the blueprint that tells people what to do, but what's the operating framework that would enable all the wonderful work that you do, for instance, to kind of flourish and grow, for other people to choose that? And we don't have that yet. Now, what I see all around me, and I know that you see as well in the work you do, is so much of this flourishing, you know, everywhere. And so there's a kind of hunger for this. And one thing that's really interesting about the book, one of the kind of most amazing things about the book is that it's enabled me to go and kind of speak with members of the general public in a way normally I'm sort of speaking with policy audiences or whatever and again it kind of chimes a court you know this Mm. is how people want to live this is what people Mm. want so I think the kind of energy is there the experience is there but at the moment all of us are operating in spite of the system and the reality is that that gets exhausting quite quickly so we kind of get knocked back so we need to make some changes in terms of you know how resource flows what resource is valued to kind of to underpin what's already happening. Mm. So I'm kind of optimistic because I think it's happening, but I think we could move it a lot faster yeah. and we could support yeah. it in different ways. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, um, you know, from both left and right, I've seen acknowledgement of the necessity of this. You know, yes. So you described um, David Cameron's big society moment, you know, which was embraced by his party. Um, and now we're talking about Corbyn and McDonnell, you know, wanting to get closer to people listening more to what they're saying you know which for me is both of these things are quite different in practice than something that's coming from the bottom yes. up right so come it's the things that come from the bottom up and what i my, what i feel from your book is this is this you know ella the woman that that that, that that's the subject of your life practice um you take on a family she's the mother of that family there's this sense that she always knew what she needed Right, she's like, oh, she always knew what she needs, but she couldn't ever m- make it come about or express it or any of these things because all the, for all the reasons you say, the chaos in her life, right? So there's a sort of sense that people, if properly grown with their capabilities, could be much, much more agentic, you know, in the whole big picture of how do we make our country work, even how we save our planet. Right, if we can give birth to that, if a politics could give birth to that, but the top-down wanting to listen, you know, the distribution of power, the devolution, if you like, can't do it on its own. In my view, it has to be met by the bottom-up. It's like it has to come from both directions. Yes, I agree. You know, if it's if it's one or the other, we're not going to get the well, solution. Well, that's the kind for. of the state yeah. has to yeah. kind of change the operating yeah. framework. And I think you know the big society. I mean, I write about the big society. Yes. What's interesting about that is that they didn't have a theory of the state. Like, everything was going Mm. to step back, but there was no theory about what was going to take Mm. place and provide the operating framework, so that doesn't work. But similarly, kind of just talking to people and then hoping that you can talk to people and put money into systems isn't going to work. And I do agree with what you say. I like your word, agentic. And also, Mm. I think, you know, something you talk about, Indra, a lot that's really important is putting yourself in the future Mm. and looking to the future. And definitely in the work I do with the families, let's say with Ella, the mothers, you know... 
look to the let, let's look forwards and then we'll work out the steps from where you are now to get mm. there which is so different to saying okay let's talk about where you are now with all these problems around you mm. and none of us feel agentic to borrow yeah, the word yeah. in that you get overwhelmed yeah. but yeah. I think there's also something very important mm. which is about kind of the power knowledge thing which is that we know things if we are lucky enough you know I've got three degrees all paid for by the state you know I'm not saying that that knowledge is the preeminent knowledge it definitely isn't the kind of real change in my life was when I went to begin to start to actually live in communities and live alongside people and, and kind of not go in with my institutional head but nonetheless it's got to be a mixture of those knowledges Absolutely. so what's really important I think in the work we do is, is sharing that capability mm. framework saying look this is a way to think about the world what do you think about it what other ideas does this give you so perhaps Ella has never thought about power in that way perhaps things are working in her life I mean actually this is a really good example I mean Ella would say that everything that is wrong in her life is her fault mm. now what I would say is that she's made some poor choices mm. um, but it's very very hard to say which of those choices are really her choices and which of those choices are imposed upon her given the very difficult framework in which she herself grew up given where she lives given what economic and social opportunities have been there so we have to kind of you know share that knowledge it can't be a sort of a, a kind of consultation thing where we go and say so Ella what do you think right okay well that's that's oh no no absolutely no no, no I know that's yeah, what yeah. you're saying but yeah. we often yeah. see that whereas oh, a lot you're of right. our work is yeah, yeah, yeah. is you know for instance yes. with the family we make yes. plans I mean not kind of plans they have to fulfill but kind of as a yes. way of um, and all the time through the process those plans are ratcheting up so you know yes. I might say to you today when you ask me what I want I want X but mm. by the time I spend six months talking to you I'm thinking okay I want X but now I can see Y let's put Y in the plan mm, mm, so mm. It's, a, it's got to be fluid you know mobile and yeah. You know, yeah, anyway. yeah no I think I think maybe what I'm referring to is a different kind of knowledge and I wonder if capability is the right word maybe it's capacity but it's almost as if we always lack something when we're trying to help other people. It's the knowledge of their life as they live it and as they sense it and feel it, you know, and they have to give that to us. Yes. You know, we can't do that for them. You know, you, do you see what I'm saying? So there's a vital piece of information well, I mean, that's always why I like that will make it happen. Because yeah. the thing about capabilities is like, yeah. I can't give you a capability. Yeah. You have to, whether, you know, in the same way I can't yes. give you a relationship, I can't make it happen for you. Yes. You can grow friendships, whatever. Yeah. But I can be alongside you supporting that and kind of guiding and asking questions and suggesting. I mean, you know, that's why I'm very interested in the whole discipline of psychoanalysis because mm. that's definitely something where we see, you know, a lot of our work is about holding up the mirror and asking people to reflect. It's not saying, as a traditional service does, I suggest you do this, yeah, which is yeah. absolutely the kind of yeah. modus operandi of our existing services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we could go on for hours. Um, I wonder if... Um, I'm just thinking... I mean, it doesn't really matter where I come No, no. But... Um, so you're... What, what is your call now, Hilary? So, you know, you've written the book. It's there for all of us to... We can't pretend now that we, can't, we don't have the evidence, we don't have the practice, we don't have the, the structure, actually. You've given us everything we need uh, to have a very different idea of a, of a, of a, of a welfare s service or state, if you like. Yes. Um, where could it go from here? What are you calling for? Is it? Are you calling to political parties to recognise what you're doing, or are you calling for 
communities to take on? Tell me yeah, what's well, your I idea. I, mean, I would like three yeah. things to happen. Mm. I mean, one thing is, I think, as I say, there's a lot of this practice. Mm. And I'm very honoured that people that I really look up to, I mean, you would be there, Andrew, but people in communities in particular mm. doing work have really loved the book because they know more than I do. And yet, you know, the, the book has spoken to them about, mm. yes, mm. You know, this is validated, like, aha, I can keep going. I think that's really important. Mm. I want people to kind of take the book and talk to other people about it. I think we need to have different conversations in different language. And then I've sort of tried to kind of lob a small pebble into a big pond to yeah. kind of try and start those different conversations. So I think that that is, for us, how we talk, what we talk about, mm. give energy to the most important thing, as you say, that's kind of growing. I think the second thing is the book isn't written for politicians. Mm. Partly because, as I say in the book, you know, we have this thing of, like, we're just waiting for somebody to sort it out, and that's not how change happens. No sort of father, you know, this is the kind of paternal figure is just going to wave a wand. Mm. At the same time, politics needs to change. Mm. It would be nice if, if a politician said, OK, here's a new operating system, let's talk about what, what we could do. That would be brilliant. I'm mm. not expecting it to happen, but I'm, mm. my lovely yellow Peckham door is open. <laughs> Anybody yeah. wants to come knocking. And then the other thing I think is really interesting is around the tools and the methods to mm. work in a different mm. way. And how I think we've got this very old history in Britain about uh, who does the thinking and who does the doing and mm. who has the different tools. And we really need something that brings the thinking and doing Absolutely. together. And I've really tried to kind of say, look, here are some tools. This is my toolkit and the book mm. can describe it. Mm. It's not the only one. Other people have got toolkits. But I think it's hard for people to get that initial practice. And I think we need to think about different ways, you know, like our kind of modern Bauhaus model that we could really begin to grow the practice. Yeah, and I wonder if um, doing that, starting now, you know, because it is already happening, I think, in communities, but this is obviously could take them a whole leap forward. It's a step forward, it's got much more structure, it's got a lot of confidence in it because of the evidence. Um, that if you start to grow this in communities in a small way, you know, getting business or whatever to support and to give, you know, startup money for this sort of practice, then what you're doing is generating a demand, you know, from from the communities upwards yes. to politicians to pay more attention yes. to yes. the stuff that works. Yes. You know, and I think that that's, that's our method, if you like, or our strategy, is that it should be grown from, you know, from the places and the people who want to own it and practice it ready as you say to 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 take action i mean i think the thing actually that i wanted to say like sometimes when you've been talking mm. i don't know is there's a tension isn't there between kind of bottom up and communities growing things mm. and something that i'm very conscious of in my work which is that you know we are increasingly divided spatially relationally and so communities to flourish need to be very mixed i mean we're sitting here in peckham it's just on mm. the cusp of that mm. and I think a lot of the work I do, whether it's sort of the um, work with older people, the circles, mm. or whether it's the uh, work on employment, is very much about curating different communities so that Absolutely. people who normally wouldn't be together come together. Yeah. And that, that, you know, in your work, I'm sure that happens. You need that external catalysm, catalyst, don't mm. you? So what we can't do, again, is we... we it's, such a, it's such a kind of nuanced balance, isn't it? Because we can't just wait for it to grow because... Something is needed. No, no, I, I, totally. no I know that's not yeah. what you're saying, but, yeah. It's, but, yeah. It's, but it's so dynamic, isn't it, is. it? What's got to happen? It is. And I think the dynamism of it um, demands that you are willing to immerse yourself in it. And I think that what I've seen you do is, is, is exactly that. You go to places and you live in the place and then you 
develop that dynamism by being yourself in that place. I mean, somewhere in your book you talk about governments modelling this for... I'm not sure about governments modelling or anybody on the hierarchy, if you like, doing the modelling. I think the modelling comes from people like yourself, and I'd include us in that too, living and working in communities, um, you know, building, you know, dynamic processes and relationships that start to work. I mean, when we're working in Plymouth right now, um, there's so many, I mean, they don't need us at all, right? There's so many good people working there, so many great projects, and if we'd never met them, they would still, you know, in my mind, you know, come to something. But because we're a political project, we're calling this a politics, and so that's our interest, and so therefore we're framing things and we're creating spaces for people to meet. And we do political, we call them political, we call them collaboratories, right? Oh, so nice. community yeah. collaboratories. Yes. Yes. And we don't call them political anything because they're not at this point. But they're um, not party political, are they? They're not at all. But I would say yes. small people political. Yes. But then I yes. think everything is. Yeah. Right? Um, and that the first six weeks, you know, or six months even, is, is literally curating the space, is getting to know the place, yes. so pulling very people much like in. what I'm describing, like yeah. the open invitation. And yeah, then, it's an invitation. Yes. Yes. We call it a friendly. Yes. The very first event is called a friendly. That's so nice. Right, and we, in Plymouth, we started out with all the great entrepreneurs who were already so well connected everywhere, but then we pulled in the people from the Navy base, you know, and then the people from the hospital workers, and all sorts of people that just weren't appearing in these... Uh, quite, you know, vibey places, places where all the big society stuff was happening, for example. So now we've got, we're developing a space in which, you know, projects like yours could be tried out and could yes, be experimented Yes, that would be amazing, with. that would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, well, that would be amazing. But mm. when I say that politicians must model it, I don't mean they mm. must do that, but what I mean is that I'm very struck that there has been a change in behaviours and cultures, mm. a sort of corruption, really, of mm. public life. Mm. And I think our leaders need to model a, a different... But that's what I mean, which validates and values and signals that something different is, mm. is what... You know, in the same mm. way that Beveridge did. He said, this, we, this is what's going to have value in our society going mm. forward. And that was kind of baggy enough that people could reinterpret it their own way. And that's what we need to model. That the, mm. These are the kinds of, you know, we're going to value relationships. Mm. So simple, you know, mm. genuine, authentic mm. connections mm. In, in exactly the mm. way you're talking about in Plymouth. But the, but the difficulty of doing that, you know, having spent as much time as I did, you know, on the left and the progressive parties, but also observing what they do in the other parties, is is we're caught in a culture, a political culture, you know, which is mostly about getting elected. So, you know, I, I really recommend you look at the example that Uffe Elbeck set and oh, the yes, setting in Denmark, yes. because his, you know, he, it's all symbolic action, basically. So he... He was made culture minister after 25 years of running something called the Chaos Pilots. Oh, I know. Yeah, okay. right, so that's him. Oh, okay, well yeah. then he's got a very different formation. It makes totally total different sense. idea, yes, yes. right? But he, How he, interesting. So he, was, he was with the Social Liberals, was culture minister only for a year. He leapt away from that and said, it can't, that's dysfunctional, it can't work. And then he spent the next five years, um, you know, building a new political sensibility with a lot of symbolic action. And the first thing was, starting without a political program and crowdsourcing everything. So, you know, hmm. opening laboratories around Denmark and saying, we'll build our manifesto from the people and their wishes and their desires. And that's what he did. And because they've got proportional representation, the very first time he stood for election, you know, they got 5% of the vote. And, you know, and now they have 10 seats in Parliament that's because incredible. it's proportional. Fastest growing party in Denmark. But, you know, he can't change it. No, but what's interesting is yeah. I've been doing a lot of work in Denmark over the last ah, couple of years. Ah, yeah. interesting, And it's interesting that the, 
that those I'm working with are not connected to this and I haven't mm. heard of this. Mm. So again, you know, yeah. it's about kind of, again, it's about yeah. relationships, isn't it? It's yeah. the bridges between the two. Yeah. He's kind of here trying to make it happen. Yeah. They're kind of in the grassroots and yeah. a lot of them in the public sector systems mm. trying to find different ways. It's a very legalistic system, so mm. the latitude to invent isn't mm. the same as it mm-hmm. is here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of things that are brilliant, but that's something that's much tougher in mm. the Nordic model. Mm. Um, anyway, it's interesting. Anyway, so uh, there's often tons more to talk about. I'm going to call an end to this particular podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much yeah. for inviting me. Well, it's been so nice talking to well, you. Well, you know, thank you for doing the hard Part work one. of writing this book because I remember the last time we met, it was frustrating that it wasn't all you know, in a book, you know, that you could share with people, and here it is now. Oh. So thanks for that. That was the Alternative UK's Indra Adnan in conversation with Hilary Cottam author of Radical Hope. If you'd like to know more about our friendly revolution, please follow us on Twitter at AlterUK21 or search for our title on Facebook. And if you want to become a co-creator with us, please go to our website, www.thealternative.org.uk. I'm Pat Kane. Thanks for listening. <laughs>